praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're worthy to be magnified. You are worthy to be glorified. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. about whenever we went through lockdown last year and when we came back to church I called Pastor Mark and I said I need you to find me some red duct tape and he's like alright so he found as Pastor Mark does he found red duct he probably had it in his house he probably had two rolls right Mark always has two of everything. But I told him, I said, I want you to put that red duct tape down right at the, uh, the, the crossover of our door coming into the church. And I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's still there, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I said, I want that to be a point of contact, a symbol or a um, likening to the blood of Jesus. Because that, that red tape along there said that we inside these four walls are going to step over the bloodline and come into a place of health, a place of healing, a place of laying down your sicknesses and diseases. And, it, you know, it's just a symbol. But it's a symbol that God can make a reality when we have faith in his word and we begin to give ourselves, dedicate ourselves to him. That creates an exchange. And it creating an exchange for us in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that paid for everything. Not just, not just redeemed your ticket to hell, but it redeemed your ticket to sickness and disease you don't have to have it because the blood has taken care of it. The blood has paid the price. The blood has been applied. And if you will take that by faith, then you begin to operate in what the word says about sickness and disease. That Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. He's the one that took those things. That he... Um, Psalm 103 says that he healed all of our diseases. So if you've been diagnosed with anything that's a disease, has blank disease on it, it should just be blank now because of the blood. So, well, well, Pastor, I'm still dealing with symptoms and stuff like that. Hey, that's part of it, man. This is the journey. It's part of the journey. The blood of Jesus is everything. The blood of Jesus is everything. A couple of years ago, I asked the um, hospitality team if they would to put a table up here on the side of the, the, the front and asked to put the elements of communion on there every week. And we don't want to make it a common thing. Because the, the word says don't make the Lord's Supper a common thing because it's totally uncommon. But we make that available to you. The, the bread and the, and the wine, it's not real. It's Welch's. 
But if at any point you ever feel like you need to take the elements of the Lord's table, they're up here. You don't need somebody to serve you that. Take it. Pray over it. Step into a new place. Because that right there is a place of the blood manifest on the inside of you. The blood of Jesus manifests on the inside of you. So if you've had a terrible week, if you've stepped over into a place of sin and you know it, even though you repented, it's good to come and take the elements and just ratify. Jesus said he ratified that. He made it done. Jesus is a one and done kind of guy. He's a once and for all done kind of guy. That's Jesus. We're in a time that fear is bigger than anything. But the blood is bigger. The blood is more. The blood paid the price. Jesus' blood is everything. Amen. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. And I thank you, God, that today and every day is a place where we can come before you and to step through heaven's door and obtain everything that heaven has to offer that was manifest through Jesus. And we get to experience heaven on earth. I thank you today, God, that every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in person or whether they're joining by live stream or podcast later on in the week, whatever the case may be, right now in this moment, wherever you're at, God, touch your people. Touch them. Manifest the healing of all diseases. Father, let us walk in a season of miracles, always giving you praise, glory, and honor. In the name of the great Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. You received that this morning? Good stuff. All right. Go ahead and say hello to somebody, maybe around you. Maybe kiss them on the cheek and see what that's like. Amen, amen. How's everybody? All right, all right. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. All right, how's everybody doing today? It's good to see you guys. Good to, good to be in Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, right? It's, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to have you. And um, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. If I've never got a chance to meet you, I hope to do that at some point. And, I, you know, I just want to welcome our Facebook Live and our uh, N3C.TV platform uh, live. I, I just uh, thank God for you guys. I thank you that, uh, that you would join us, join us this morning here in this house, and, and we just appreciate you so much as our extended family and, um, man, God said, go into all the world and take the gospel. I believe this is the perfect place we can do that. So thank you for joining us online today. Uh, we, we love you guys and wish you could be here. Um, amen. So um, 
we um, started a little deal last week. I started talking about um, Hanukkah, the, the, the holiday of Hanukkah, and what it means from, um, from a culture point of view. Because um, this, this holiday, this Jewish holiday called Hanukkah, was never written into the Bible as um, a have-to, you know, that we have to do that or that it would be a, a statute or a law that we would have to celebrate that. And, and many people don't, especially American Christians, because that is the Jewish holiday, right? You, you know, you see that, you know, everybody's trying to include everybody else during this season. You know, the, you know some people are... Uh, Christmas tree people, some people are um, Hanukkah people, some people are both kind of people, and some people just don't give a crap, you know? And, and so all of, the, all of big corporations and stuff, you know, they put their commercials out, you know, all these uh, supermarkets and stuff like that, uh, and they, all, they include everybody. And, and so they, they, they want to not rock the boat. So... Um, you know, this this Hanukkah thing that we've been talking about, our family's been celebrating it for over 15 years. And, um, well, my, my son is 20, right? Am I right on that? I still look at you as an 8-year-old. Uh, but, you know, um, from his second birthday or second uh, year in the world, um, we've been celebrating Hanukkah. And so when I found out the, the, the um, meaning behind it, it really weighed on me. This is something that we would like to do. So I've been talking about it. I talk about it most every year at this time. But God has shown me a little bit of different way of presenting that to know that we as Christians, it's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to recognize those things that God has given to us. Because we are adopted, the Bible says in Romans chapter 11 that we are adopted or engrafted into the Jewish culture. Jesus was a Jew. And if we're one with him, then we've been... Yeah. I'm an old forestry guy. I went to school for forestry and I didn't make it. Um, But I learned enough to be dangerous. Um, and we talked about grafting certain trees into, into other trees, you know, and making kind of a hybrid type of deal. And that's what we are with Jesus. We're adopted by him. We're, we're engrafted into him and we find our life source from him. He was a Jew. John chapter 10 said that he celebrated it. So it's not wrong to celebrate it and it's not wrong to not celebrate it, but it's really cool. And my kids always thought so because I think, I think Kirsty told me last week, I said eight presents a night. Wow, sorry. <laughs> sorry for, it was eight presents during the whole thing. Yeah, every, every night, eight presents, presents every night. So, and their, her kids just went crazy over it. It's like, <laughs> pastor said, you know, I, I, my, my words carry a lot of weight and that's scary. So anyways, um, so say it the shepherd, so say it the flock. So you got to, <laughs> anyways, so I want to, I want to kind of just start out where I uh, started out last week and I'm going to do a little bit of review because I know there may be some people joining us in person or online that don't have 
uh, a clue to come here from Sikkim about what I've been talking about. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to, to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. And this is where we uh, started out last week. And um, <clears throat> here in the book of Malachi, Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament, right before you go into Matthew or the Gospels in the New Testament. So um, there is a 420-year gap between Malachi and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a 420-year gap there. It was a time that the, the Word of God, the, you know, the Old Testament had been um, everything that God wanted to say, everything that God wanted to do had been done by Malachi, and he was the last one to have the last word, the last prophet to have the last word of God before we moved into a new era. And, and in between that, you know, basically what happened is time went um, beyond the door of the Old Testament and entered into this hallway. Last week I called it a faith bridge. Entered into this uh, place where it came out of one place, one era, and into a new era. And so Malachi gets the last words of the Old Testament. And, um, you know, during that time of the Old Testament, God spoke through the kings, through the priests, and through the prophets. And as Malachi came upon this, he was the, the last prophet to be able to project a hope of a new era. And that hope was that they were pointing, all the prophets were pointing to the Messiah that would come. Are you with me? The Messiah that would come. Who was the Messiah that would come? His name is Jesus. He was the uh, going to be the savior of the world. So they're all living faith for that. Whereas 2000 years after Jesus, we're all living in faith from that, from him, from that hope of the Messiah. And so it's the, it was the same kind of faith. But um, I don't believe that whenever Malachi said what he said, that God's people really knew what was going on. And I don't even know if Malachi really knew what was going on. He was just being used by God. Have you ever been there? God said something to you and you said, I don't know. You know, I'll say it, but I don't know. That's what Malachi, I believe probably Malachi's thing was. And so the last few verses of Malachi chapter 4, I wanted to read again to you guys. I'm reading from the New King James. I read from the message last week. and, And I'll just say this, that if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and pull up the archive from Facebook Live or a podcast or something like that, and go and listen to it, because this is all going to kind of dovetail together. And so um, Malachi says this, and he's speaking from the Spirit of God that's coming out in him as a prophet. Verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, or that's Mount Sinai, for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let me pray real quick over this. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that God, whenever we speak your word, when we read your word, when we hear your word, there is always blessing attached to that. 
And so, God, I pray that the blessing of your word would would just rest on each and every one of us, Father, that I would be able to speak your word the way that you want it spoken and that people would hear the word the way that you want them to hear it. So, God, I thank you so much for what we're going to talk about today, and I ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to review a little bit because what happens in between Malachi and the start of the New Testament, whichever gospel that you read, which Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, um, what happened in between there? Because this uh, holiday called Hanukkah is birthed within that 420-year realm. It's not written of in the Bible except in John chapter 10 when Jesus was going into the temple on on the, the Feast of Dedication is what the uh, New King James says. But the, the Feast of Dedication is this time, because it's winter time. it was the time of Hanukkah. So he was going into the temple at that time. Okay? Um, so I, I wanted to just kind of tell you a little bit, a little review of what Hanukkah, this time is all about, how it came to be. So uh, um, God's people... After Malachi spoke these things, God's people didn't know what was ahead of them. They were just going about their routine. They were going about their normal. It's a big word that we use today, right? You know, this whole virus upset our normal. The political peace that goes along with that upset our normal. The cultural rhythm upset our normal. And, and from the very beginning, we've said, will we ever get back to normal? I don't know. There, I know a lot of things, but that I don't know. And I've only been wrong once in my life. And I'm... The people didn't know. i got to get on with this thing. The, the, the people didn't know what was ahead of them, and I'm not even sure Malachi knew what was ahead of them. But when God began to speak through Malachi, what God was saying is he said, you need to establish some guardrails for moving into this next era. Establish the guardrails. He said, what are the guardrails? Remember the law of Moses and what he gave him at Mount Sinai. As they're walking through this no longer normal feeling, they're bouncing off the guardrails because that's the place where God needs us to be. He don't need us to go beyond the guardrails. We can't go beyond the law. We can't go beyond the word of God. We got to stay in there in the midst of it. So Malachi, through the inspiration of God on the inside of him, was saying, remember the law of Moses, establish those guardrails. And then he says, establish a hope or an expectation. And the way that that Malachi, what he said, the way that God was wanting to do that was that that he would send the spirit of Elijah into that time. Now, Elijah was a great prophet. You can read about him back in the the book of Kings, uh, 1 and 2 Kings. You can read about him a little bit. But he died 400 years before Malachi said what he said. So he wasn't talking about physical Elijah coming in that. He was talking about a physical person carrying the spirit of Elijah. 
the spirit of Elijah. So he was establishing in that place a hope or an expectation that when they begin to see the same spirit on a person that, that Elijah carried, that they would know we've entered into a new place. It's a new hope. It's a new expectation. And when God said that through Malachi, it seems to us like God went dark. He didn't talk to the prophets. He didn't talk to the priests. He didn't talk to the kings anymore from, from that time. They just threw out Malachi's word, and this is what we're going to do until we know we've entered into the next era. And so during that 400 years, um, history was being written. And you can find that history in the book, the history book called Josephus. You can also find it in the Apocrypha, which is... Um, you know, the, the mainly the Catholic um, Bible is the, probably the place you see that most common. But it's the books, the historical books that were written in between Malachi and Matthew and, and the recorded history. So Israel during that time of um, the in-between, uh, the, the not normal time, um, Israel saw a lot of governmental and cultural changes. And in that, they were being, during Malachi's time and for a few years after him, they were living under a Persian empire culture for about 60 years. And then Alexander the Great come through and conquered the Persian uh, armies and set up his shop as a Greek culture, a, a, a Greek empire for about 15 years. And then Alexander the Great died. His kingdom, his empire was split up. And the uh, Egyptian empire took over Israel during that time. Now, when you look at Persia, Egypt, and Greece through Alexander the Great, they did not mind, even though they wanted to change culture into a Greek culture from there, um, it really was a, was a thing that um, they were tolerant. The, those governments were tolerant of the Jews and their culture and their religion. They let them do what they do. And then there came another empire moving in. It was called the Seleucid Empire, which was the Syrian Empire. And it was led by a ruler named Antiochus. And Antiochus was a strange fella as he wanted to be equal with the Greek gods of the world. Uh, out of all the other leaders of the, all, all the other cultures, they didn't have this thing that they wanted to be worshipped. But Antiochus stepped in there as the leader of the Syrian empire, and he wanted to be worshipped as a god. As a matter of fact, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, and the word Epiphanes means of God, his God. He was equal with the God. And so he wanted to be worshipped. And, and therefore that created, created a little bit of unrest with the Jewish people and, and the way they did religion. And so this Antiochus, his goal was to destroy every aspect of the Jewish religion and destroy the Jews that would not conformed, conform to the Hellenistic um, culture, religion. And so with that, he stepped in and eliminated their normal. 
Normal wasn't normal for them anymore in this time. He wanted to force the Jews to renounce their God and worship him as a God. He wanted them to eat foods that were sacrificed to Greek God or idols. He wanted them to um, worship the statues. They, he came into the temple of God and he set up statues of his gods in God's temple. That takes a lot of stuff. Intestinal fortitude. But he did. He came in, he set up all these statues, and then he expected the Jews to begin to worship that. And the, the, the icing on the cake was when he sacrificed a pig upon the altar of God and... This was, this was the thing that created tension between the Jews and the Syrians. And when they did that, when there, there was a group of farmers about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem. When they heard that and they knew that the Syrians were going to come for them, this group of farmers um, revolted. Now, I don't know... I, I, know, I know a lot of farmers, and I've shook hands with farmers and ranchers, and they're not scared of nothing. They're, they're, they're callous. They, they, they know what work is. They know what the bottom line is. And this small group of Jewish farmers revolted against the, the king, the, the guy that thought he was God. He, they revolted against him and said, this, we've had enough. And this group of, of farmers, they were called the Maccabees, and they began to revolt. And for three years, they entered into guerrilla warfare with the Syrian army. And this small group of farmers turned warriors began to defeat the tens of thousands of Syrian armies and their generals. They began to over the next three years, begin to win battle after battle. <clears throat> and so they faced impossible odds and they won battles against Syria and their greatest generals and were so dominant that Syria decided, you know what, we're out. And they pulled out and left all of the, the um, power and authority back into these Jewish men's hands. So they moved, these Maccabees, they moved into, they heard what had happened to the temple of God, and so they moved into Jerusalem. When they came to the temple, they began to weep over what God's house looked like after the Syrians had been there. They throw out the idols, they begin to, to clean, they begin to venture into God's temple and get it back up into working order again. And as they did, the first and foremost thing they needed to do was restore light to the inside because the way that the, there's no windows in the temple. There's no windows there. And so they had to get some kind of light into there. So they searched around and they found the, the menorah, the light of the temple, the candelabra, the, um, the, the lampstand. And it looks something like this. This has nine branches. The one in the temple had seven. It was about 90 pounds of pure gold. 
90 pounds of, you know how much 90 pounds of pure gold is today? I looked it up. $2.5 million is how much that pure gold candelabra is worth. You can't get that at Home Goods. You can get a lot of things at Home Goods, but you can't get that. So they, they went in and they found the menorah, the holy lampstand, and they set it in its proper place, and they begin to look for the oil, the holy oil, that is um, for that lampstand. And all they could find was one cruise or one jar of oil for the lampstand. And so they entered into a dilemma there. They said, you know, what, what do we want to do with this thing? Do we want to... It's going to take eight days to make more oil. So are we going to take this one jar, pour it in, light it, and get as much done as we can in one day and then come back a week later and see if we can start off again? Or do we just want to wait? And they decided we're going to pour this oil in. We're going to get this lamp started so that we can do what we need to do. One day's oil. This is, this is the meat of what Hanukkah is about, is that one day's worth of oil into that lamp turned into eight days that it stayed lit on one day's worth of oil. God stepped into that place. Now, I thought this time frame was that God wasn't talking. God wasn't doing anything. That's what I always thought from Malachi to Matthew. Yeah, God ain't doing nothing. He, he backed out. He's abandoned his people. But you know what the word says? He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Even though he may have been quiet through the prophets, kings, and priests, God was still doing work. And he, he, he brought about that when they decided to pour that oil into the, the, one, into the lamp for one day, he said, I'm going to make this work for eight days. The, the Maccabees and the Jewish people were astounded at how good God was. The miracle that he began to perform, the miracle of light that we talked about last week, the miracle of light that represents this time that we call Hanukkah. <clears throat> they began to rebuild and clean up and restore the, the uh, God's house, the temple. And at eight days, they got so much work done that they were able to rededicate the temple to God again, for the presence of God to be there again. And they returned to a sense of normal. It's when they decided to say, God, you be God. And I want to tell you that today, that if you're wondering about this normal we used to be in, it does, normal doesn't matter. As long as you put yourself into God, as long as you trust him with one cruise of oil, as long as you trust him to light the lamp and keep it lit, God says, I will do miracles in your sight. I'm going to do miracles in your sight. And so by the goodness of God during this time, by the goodness of God, their story, this, this, their story, became their testament of miracles. Their story became their testament of miracles. How much more can we 
in this time. See, they lived from an Old Testament time. We live in a New Testament time. How much more that when we put ourselves and dedicate ourselves to God and step out with that one crucible on the inside of us, how much can, how, how big of a miracle can God do in your life? In our dark times, in our dark times, the light of God wants to shine. So it was a miracle of light. And, and in that miracle of light is where we come up with this menorah um, like this. Even though it wasn't a seven branch, this one is a nine branch menorah. Eight, four one side, four branches one side, four branches the other side, in making up the eight days of looking at God light his candle, his, his uh, lampstand in the temple. And then we've got that nine, ninth branch that is in between. And so Hanukkah is represented by these nine branches when we observe this. Eight days it took. I love the number eight in the Bible. I love the symbolism that number eight carries because number eight has a, um, a value to um, that God is more than enough. Number eight is God is more than enough. It also means new beginnings. So as these people, as the Israelites are lighting this lamp and, and symbolizing at Hanukkah, this Hanukkah, they're saying we are celebrating a new beginning, leaving the old era behind and stepping into the new era, stepping into this place called Jesus. See, there's, there's one more branch that's on there, and it's called, it's a little bit higher, it's a little bit more elevated, and it's called the Shamash. And the Shamash means a servant or a helper. In, in tradition during Hanukkah, it is the center or that shamash that is used to light the rest of the, the lamp. It's serving that light to the other branches. It's serving that light. It is a servant or it's a helper. So if you would, if, if you would go over to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, this is um, the... John, the apostle, John, the disciple of Jesus, uh, he, he later says, uh, you know, kind of patting himself on the back, not in pride, but he says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> Forget it, you other 11. I'm the one that he loved. And, and so the writer, John, here is, is writing this, uh, moving into this new era. This is his place uh, of writing. Um, the gospel that begin to enter into the New Testament. And so I believe, personally, me, Darren Gleghorn, I believe that the cornerstone of Christianity is this book. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is our cornerstone, but listen to hear what John says about Jesus, the cornerstone, because the Word of God is the cornerstone. But, but listen, listen here how he says this as um, uh, John sets up the beginning of the new era. He says this in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, even though this... Uh, no, I didn't. I'm reading my notes. I'm not... 
John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see that? The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, the Word. He's talking about the Word. So who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. Okay? He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him, the word or Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. So even though... This, what I just read, just John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, even though it is not about Hanukkah, you can take this Hanukkah story and lay it on that as a template of what he's saying in John chapter 1. You can, you can put it on there as a, as a template. It's 150 years, the, the, up to this point, there's been about 150 years of them celebrating Hanukkah before John is written. This book of John is written. So the word is Jesus. And verses 4 and 5 says that in him was life and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word comprehend there is the word that means to overcome. See, darkness cannot overcome light. It never can. You can't turn darkness on. You can only turn light off, right? But when you turn light on, the darkness leaves the room. It, I mean, we could, we could cut the lights off and cover the windows and everything like that. And Well, most of the windows are covered, but the, darken the exit signs. We did that one time. We got in trouble. <laughs> we was trying to... We were trying to do something great. And, did you know you can't cover those things? Yeah, we got in trouble for that. But you can turn it pitch black in here and set loose a lightning bug, is what we call them in Oklahoma, a light bug, and let them fly around the room. And he's going to be seen because when he lights his little butt up, <laughs> darkness goes... <laughs> right? Those things are cool, aren't they? I, I saw one the other night, or a few months ago, outside my house. I haven't seen them since I lived in Oklahoma. Anyways, we, I saw a lightning bug. But I wouldn't have seen him in the daylight because he needed the darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend the light. In other words, when Jesus came into this world, the darkness began to run. The darkness began to flee. That's why when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He is the light of the darkness that's, that, that's been on the inside of us. And we begin to be illuminated with Him. <clears throat> um, let's, go, let's go ahead and read verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that that all through him, John, might believe. 
He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So the the, the John that is talked about here in verse 6 is not John, the writer of this gospel. The John that he's talking about is John the Baptist. You all remember that? Remember remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the one who uh, baptized Jesus. His ministry there in that time was to baptize people in water. And that's what he did. People would go out, repent of their sins, and be baptized by John. And so John the Baptist is who he is speaking about here. He said he's going to go before him and be a witness of the light. He's going to point mankind back to the light that is the word of God, that is the light of God, and is the one who can light us up. And, and so when you look at John the Baptist, when you look at his life and you read about him over in, and you don't have to go here, but over in Luke chapter one, the, um, an angel of the Lord told John the Baptist's dad before John was conceived, this angel of the Lord told Zacharias, he said, he is going to carry the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist is going to carry the spirit of Elijah. And he said he's going to return the hearts of the fathers to the sons, to his children. Jesus, in Matthew chapters 11 and 17, Jesus spoke of John the Baptist. John was his cousin. Six months older than Jesus, he was Jesus' cousin. But, but Jesus called John the Baptist out of his own mouth that he was the Elijah of their time. He carried the spirit of Elijah. What did Malachi say? He said that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he's going to send the spirit of Elijah to return the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. John the Baptist was who Malachi was talking about. He was the one releasing the new era into uh, this world and recognizing Jesus as the light. You got that? That's good stuff. Look at verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. The true light was Jesus. The true light was the word of God that Jesus was. He is the word of God. And he is the light. And he is the one that brings, because of who he is and what he has done by going to the cross, has released his light to light every person I mean, even if you're not a a God follower, Jesus has paid the price for your light. And when you become a God follower, when you be a a God follower, I almost said God father. When you become a God follower, he illuminates himself in you. That's good stuff. Jesus is the shamash. Jesus is the servant that lights 
the other candles. <clears throat> when the menorah that was in the temple was lit, it was lit because it had seven bowls on the top. It had these bowls that would um, house the oil. And then there was a wick put in there, and then the light was lit through that wick. And <clears throat> growing up, I say growing up, becoming a minister, when I knew that I was going to be a minister, I knew that I was called to, to, to ministry, I had witnessed a lot of the church uh, ways that preachers would give the invitation. You know what the invitation is? It's at the end of the service where you say, you know, if you want to make a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, um, you know, pray this prayer, walk this aisle, raise your hand, whatever the, however people want to do it. But there was something that, 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 that I heard more times than not is that a, a person, when they give the invitation to receive Jesus, they would say, there is a God-shaped hole in your heart. You ever heard that? There's a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. Anything else, addiction to um, alcohol, drugs, pornography, sex, whatever the case may be, you can try to fit that in that hole, but that hole won't be filled with anything else but God. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart. What I am seeing is there's not a God-shaped hole in your heart. There is a bowl in your soul. And that bowl holds the oil that begins to light your way as a follower of Jesus. Amen? So there's, a, there's not a God-shaped hole in your heart. There's a bowl in your soul. You won't forget that, will you? Because when we dedicate ourselves to Jesus, he comes in and not fills a hole, but he fills the bowl with his oil and with his light. <clears throat> Hanukkah commemorates and communicates to us. Just, I mean, we're, we're just like that lampstand. It, it communicates and it commemorates that no matter how dark your world is or how dark your world can be, there is always a supply of a miracle through what Jesus has poured into you. There's always a supply to light your darkness. Just like there was one, I mean, why was there one day's jar of oil left in there? Why didn't, why didn't the Syrians do something with it? Why didn't they throw it out? Why didn't they pour it out? But God hid it away so that when they needed it, when they needed the oil, it was there. Jesus is the same way. Whether you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not, He died for you. Amen. He has the oil that you need to get out of your darkness. There, there is no way that that cannot be put inside someone when they receive Jesus. There is no way. He is that supply. He is that oil. He is that light. Amen? Amen? He is that. He is the supply for the miracle that you need in your darkness. 
See, it was in the, in, the, in the darkness, the Maccabees found the fuel for the lamp. That oil was the fuel. It was holy oil. And there would be no temple restoration, rededication, or dedication at all, devotion at all, without the light. There would be no miracle of light. We talked about the miracle of light last week, but there would be no miracle light without the oil. So I believe with all my heart that the foundation of this Hanukkah season that we live year to year is the miracle of the oil. It's the miracle that Jesus is the light of men because of the oil that fuels his light. So what was the oil that fueled Jesus' light? It's called Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible is symbolized or his, the symbol of who he is is oil. The oil, when oil is talked about in the Bible, it is, it is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and where the Holy Spirit is. When they would pour oil up on the head of the priest to anoint him to step into his job as, as um, a spokesman for God, they would pour, they would stand him in, a, in kind of a bucket deal and he would stand there while they poured five gallons of oil over the top of his head to anoint him. Why was that? Because they knew that the Spirit of God rested in the oil, and when he would be covered and it would be running down his beard, that would be nasty. You know, it would make you feel nasty. Slippery, you know? <laughs> but it was symbolized as the Spirit of God on him so heavy and so saturated that he can't help that everything he, do, everything he does, everything he touches has anointing on it. Every person he touches, Holy Spirit is transferred. Everything that he touches, Holy Spirit is transferred because Holy Spirit is the oil. And, you know, throughout the Bible, when that's talked about, when the oil is talked about, that is the fuel. Holy Spirit is the fuel that lights the flame. And he has filled us with that spirit and the light of his fire upon us. <clears throat> Barbara Walters was interviewing John the Baptist. I mean, I believe she's that old. <laughs> Anyways, when Barbara Walters interviewed John the Baptist, she asked him the question. This is just my way of seeing things. She asked him the question, are you, John the Baptist, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah that has come into this world? And John the Baptist says this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I'm reading from the message translation. He says, uh, John says, I am baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. See, the main character in this drama 
compared to him, I am just a stagehand. He said the, the, the main character of this drama will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. John the Baptist says, look, I'm just a, I'm just a dude that baptized you with water. But there's one coming after me is what the new King James said. John says, there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy to even tie his shoes or to fasten his sandals on his feet. He's the guy that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the oil, and fire, the light. He's the one. Jesus is the one. He's the servant candle. He is the the shamash. He is the one that is going to put it on you. He's the one that's going to get you lit. That's an old saying now. That's that's just for us old people that think we know. Got to get lit. So for us in the New Testament living on the side of what the Maccabees started when they dedicated the temple, we all have dark times, don't we? We, we go through dark times. If, you, you know, if, you're, uh, if you've just come out of a dark time or you're in a dark time or you're preparing to go into a dark time, we got to understand that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one that's able to baptize us with Holy Spirit and fire. And you know what? So many times we've looked at that as three different baptisms. Baptized with water, baptized with Holy Spirit, and baptized with fire. But it's not. It's one. The wettest we can be will still hold the oil that lights the fire of God on the inside of you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, I believe with all my heart that you can have the Holy Spirit in fire. You don't have to wait for that. You receive it right then. Amen? Amen. There's always a supply for a miracle when we're in a dark place. See, when we allow Jesus to, to fill us up, the miracle of the oil, the miracle of the Holy Spirit, the the Holy Spirit desiring to be with us becomes the ability, the fuel for us to get lit and stay lit. Even when we walk into a dark place, even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear what our normal is being taken away from us should be found in the normal of who Jesus is. Y'all forget the normal that we knew in everyday life. Let's live the God life. Let's live the lit life. Let's live the Jesus in us, on us, and through us light. That's the life we need. That's the life that it's all about. 
And this here is nothing but symbolism to say, you are the temple. And on the inside of the temple is the light of God that burns anywhere you go. Daytime, nighttime, darkness, light. In the ghettos of the cities or in the high places of the government. Jesus has given us his fuel, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus, in his last day on earth before he went to the cross, he told his disciples, he told the, 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 the apostles that were sitting there at the Last Supper, he said, I'm going to go away. If I don't go away, I can't give you the other helper. I can't give you the comforter. I can't give you what you need to make it through dark times unless I go away. I have to go to the cross because if I don't go to the cross, I can't release this Holy Spirit that's been bringing light to my body. I can't release him into the earth because Jesus was called the Shamash, the servant, the helper. He said, I have to release another helper to you. And when you receive that helper, he will bring the fuel to light the light in your world. He needed to go to the cross to get us the fuel that we need to become the life of the light of mankind and this world. And who would do that for us? Who would do that for us? When we look at this thing and the, and the, and the light and all this represents, his name is Jesus the light of the world. And he said, I go away so that you can be the light of the world. If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you are the light of the world. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he wants to bring you out of darkness and into the marvelous light of who he is. He is the word of God and he wants relationship with you. He's got a cruise of oil that he wants to pour in you, but it can only be poured in when we allow the bowl in our soul to be exposed to him to pour that fuel and to set you on fire. Amen. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, but I'm not feeling like I've been in the place where I need to be to be light, for God to legitimately see me as light. And I need to get back right with him. I'll just say this. Jesus is your light and he has never left you and he has never forsaken you. You may have let your light dwindle, but he wants to trim your wick back so that you can begin to burn with passion again. To be confident that Jesus is Lord in your life. To be confident that he's greater than what's going on in our culture, in our world, in our society today. He wants to be greater in your life. So if you've kind of stepped away from the things of God, all you got to do is say, 
Jesus, I, I'm sorry. I repent, and I want you to relight me. I want you to trim me back so that I can flourish again with light. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, just open yourself up to him and let him pour into you his salvation, his Holy Spirit, and his fire. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus, who is the word of God. And I I ask you, Lord, to make yourself known to us today. Make yourself available for an encounter with you today. I pray, God, that every person who says, Jesus, come into my life, every person who would say, Jesus is Lord, every person who would say, I am a follower, I am a Christian of Jesus, I pray that today that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and your fire. Fire! Fire, come in this place the presence of the Lord through fire. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said when he was on earth, when he would confront somebody to be a disciple, he would say, will you come and follow me? And I'm asking every one of you, whether you've said yes to him before or not, to every one of you. God is locking eyes with you. God is looking at you face to face. Jesus is saying, will you come and follow me? Is today your yes? If it is, say yes. I thought there was a lot more people that followed Jesus in here. If this is your day, say yes. Yes. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for it a new era, a new normal, a normal that we walk in your kingdom and we see you move and we pour out your light that you've given to us into other people. In Jesus' name.